skeptical about custom beauty, honestly, y'all, I totally get it. My feed is flooded with customize this and personalize that, all promising, you know, to fix all of our beauty, hair, and skin problems. Truthfully, I was so skeptical when I saw this brand, but I'm a total believer now. When pros says custom, they actually mean it. Their products are no gimmicks, and your formula couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with unique blends of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. And they get personal. Pro's covers everything from your concerns to diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. Did you know, for example, that Minneapolis has like weirdly hard water, which apparently was affecting my hair. So like some of the ingredients that they put into my hair care was to like deal with the fact that we have hard water. Wow. I love that. They also asked me things like, you know, because I have had a baby recently, like, am I still breastfeeding? What are my hair goals? And I also really appreciated they asked like, how much effort do you want to put into your hair? Yeah, <laughs> because like I'm at the point, you know, I used to let, yeah, I used to do those, you know, put effort into my appearance, but now it's like, I just want to be able to walk out of the door without feeling self-conscious. Um, I, this is truly such a genuine endorsement. So I've really enjoyed using these products. But don't just take our word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised control clinical trial, this is like the gold standard of all of these trials, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash justbreakup. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash justbreakup for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas, pros.com slash justbreakup. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we'll be tackling topics like keeping keepsakes, begging (laughs) for sex, and not wanting kids. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health practitioners, sex therapists Mm -mm. either. We're going to talk about sex in this episode. We don't know. I I don't know how to do that very well. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sam and I are not professionals. We are not trained in this. So please take our advice as you see fit. Uh, in your life, um, we are just here to offer our humble musings. So, if you shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. 
All right, before we get into this week's check-in topic, just a quick reminder that if you subscribe to support us on Patreon for $10 a month, uh, you can join us for our first ever live stream. We're going to be doing monthly live streams with our $10 level supporters. And our first one is this Wednesday, June 27, 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. We're going to celebrate Pride. Take your live questions. Hang out with big cats and you all so um yeah check that out at patreon.com slash just break up pod this is a great way to connect get a question answered in a faster setting and also directly contribute to the success and sustainability of our show and we are grateful for those of you that are able to do that absolutely um yeah so this week's check-in topic is inspired by a real life happening, real life oh, <laughs> outside, <okay. laughs> outside of the show. Um, uh, keeping this all anonymous and also very simple because it was very simple. I got a text recently from somebody from my past um, who was like a friend uh, and um, they said, they were like congratulating me on the baby and just like life and everything. And they said, also, like, I apologize for any of my assholery in the past. Um, I do carry guilt about that. And hmm. I, because I, I, we hadn't spoken in years and, you know, we were friends when we were like younger and like sloppier. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I remember reading the text and I was like, pleased to hear from this person. Um, and I remember reading this text and literally thinking, I wonder what they're referring to. <laughs> mm-hmm, like, I wonder mm-hmm. like what time of our like sloppy youth is this person referring to? Because I sure as hell didn't think of this person and think, oh man, they were an asshole to me. You know, like I didn't hold them the way they held me, you know, or not me, but like our memories together. Um, Mm -hmm. And I texted back and said like, oh my gosh, like so good to hear from you. And uh, just so you know, like everything is all good. Everything is, is, is forgiven or, or I I don't remember exactly what I said, but like I, in my mind, there wasn't even anything to forgive. (laughs) And I just said like, I hope you feel, uh, I said, I know exactly what I said. I said permission to like set that guilt down because we are all Mm -hmm. good, you know, and um, it just made me reflect on what you and I have talked about in the past privately and like sometimes on the show, which is just that like not a lot of people, (laughs) most people don't think of us the way we think they're thinking of us, you know. Mm. I think about that scene in Schitt's Creek where like David is going to get his driver's license um, for the first time. And he's like having an existential crisis and an anxiety attack. And it's and his sister, Alexis, is like, uh, like, what are you doing? Just like you could just fail the test. Like nobody cares if you fail the test or whatever. (laughs) And David is like freaking out. And she's Uh like, she's like, people don't think about you the way you think they think about you, you know, like people don't care about you the way we think people care about us. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, this is all to say, I wonder of your, I'm interested in your thoughts about just like the way 
the pressure we put on ourselves and the guilt we carry often unnecessarily because we are so good at making these narratives about um, how terrible we were and how people hate us or care way too much or don't care about us at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that that experience is like really common. I know that like I've had times where I've like apologized for something and people have been like, I don't even remember you doing that. And I'm I like, oh, really? Because I've thought about it every day since. So. I know. <laughs> I almost wanted to respond to this person and say, you don't know how many of these texts I've sent. I've sent those yeah. texts. Like, <laughs> yeah, But instead, sure. I just wanted to, like, move on and, like, have this breezy conversation and not make it, like, deeply vulnerable. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I have sent several of those, like, I'm sorry I was such a dick text unnecessarily Absolutely. and out of the blue. Yeah. And I also think like it can happen the other way too, where like we don't know that we've done anything wrong and a person may be harboring something about us for like years. Oh my God, you know? facts. And also that is the exact opposite of the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, listen, people don't think about you the way you think they do. And then you're like, but they actually do. And you just don't know it. <laughs> Which all gets to the point that like, we will never know unless we ask. And secondly, like, we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can't control or know what other people think about us all yes. the time. Like, it's, it's, it is impossible. And it is so deeply outside of our control as well. Yes. Um, like, there are people in my life who, or not in my life anymore, but like, people who I know who are acquaintances. And I've like written that person off in my life because they said one thing to me. Yes. Um, and like, I think it just goes to show that that the things that we do actually have like very little <laughs> impact or at least like, yeah, like very little impact on the way that people think or feel about us. And that mm-hmm. like one thing can either be, oh my God, I love that person because they made that joke that one time and like now they're like in my heart for forever or like, oh, that person like did that weird thing that one time. And so now I'm just like not interested in being part of their life anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's like so... Outside of our control. Yeah, <laughs> like we, I was just, just going to say, we, and we can't control that interpretation. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. And, like, I love the idea of, like, apologizing for things that we have done wrong, for sure. Um, and I love that 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 friend of yours, like, reached out and, like, did that apology. Like, I think it's really cute and charming. Um, and it is just so funny the ways in which, like, our interpretations of our experiences can be so different, even though they happen to they literally happened to both of you yeah. <laughs> like at the same time. Like totally. Yeah. And like their interpretation was like, ah, I really fucked up. And your interpretation was like, I don't know. We're in our twenties. We're all sloppy. Like <laughs> that's, that's yeah, just kind of like, like how it works. I wanted to be like, what are you apologizing for? But I, I, I <laughs> yeah. mostly just wanted to give them permission to be like, I, I harbor, I don't carry this at all. I don't think of right. you and feel hurt or I don't, um, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're free, like, let it go. And I think maybe that is the point I wanted to get to in the check-in topic is just honestly, like, give our listeners permission to like, let go of what they think that they did wrong. And like, know Mm -hmm. that most likely people are not thinking of you as viciously as they, as you think that they are. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, we're all just like moving through and and doing the best we can. I'm I'm a huge fan of these like accountability apology texts and also I hate thinking that this person walked around with such 
guilt. You know, literally use mm-hmm. the word I carry guilt in that department, you know. And mm-hmm. um and I think we I just wanna like give us all permission to like we can set that down, I think. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that's serving us, you know. Absolutely. No, I think that that's a great a great permission that you're giving all yeah. of us to say <laughs> like yeah, we don't have to carry around this idea that we have somehow like so fucked up, especially when it's like there's so much distance like and time between those things as well. Right. Right. Like I think about things that I did when I was like 21 years old and they still like give me so much anxiety Mm -hmm. and and like shame. Um, And it's like that was literally... 13 years ago. Yeah. Like so much time has passed. I'm an entirely different person than I was back then. Yes. And just that idea of like, I didn't know better and I was doing the best that I could in those situations. Um, and my best wasn't great. Sure. And it was the only thing I had available to yeah. me. Totally. Um, and that's, I think that can be really hard, but it just goes to, to your point of like, we hold our guilt and our shame so that's close it. to our hearts that's and right other there. people, Honestly, yeah. don't even think about it. <laughs> you yes, know what they I mean? don't. They don't <laughs> even. I hadn't thought of this person in years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? And um, even in like the converse situation where I'm thinking yes. about like, oh, that one person did that thing to me one time. And so like now I don't want them in my life. It's like such a passive thing. Right. Like it's like I don't think about it. Right. And if I met them, I would be like, hey, what's up? How you doing? Yeah, you know hi, what I mean? Fine. Like it's yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fine. Especially those things where it's like we didn't have a huge falling out. Like where there was like no fight that happened. It just was like, they were weird once. And then I was like, okay, well yes. I don't need to be their friend. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't carry it around. Like yeah. It's just like, it's not impacting me. It's not on my heart. Like it's, it's just such a thing of like, I don't think that they were necessarily a bad person. It's just that they did a thing. And I was like, I don't need to be friends with them. Right. Like, yeah. And not in a, like a mean way, like get away from yes. me. Like you're a horrible person, just in a way of like, oh, I'm just not going to choose to pursue this friendship any further. (laughs) Yes, totally. I totally agree. And also like, so if, you know, conversely again, like if, if you did wrong that person, right? Like if you were that asshole and they do hold that against you, um, one, they have a right to do that. Not everybody is for us. And just how we can say no to people, other people can say no to us. And also two, if they, if they don't want to or can't, or choose not to see the different version of you, the Sam that's 13 years older, you know, that is unrecognizable from the Sam before, then they don't, des- that it's not that they don't deserve it. It's just like, then they're not for you. That Then save yeah. that, save that new version of yourself for people who can really appreciate how far mm-hmm. you've come, how much you've learned, how much you've changed, you know? Um, yep. I think that's a great way to discern what guilt and shame to carry or not, you know, just because they can't see the new person you are doesn't mean you're not a new and better person. Their validation of it isn't, isn't the point of that growth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like a lot of us walk around with this like existential fear Mm. that somebody in the world doesn't like us. And it's like, (laughs) Oh my God. People, people are going to not like you. <laughs> Sorry. Like yeah. no matter how nice you yeah. are, no matter how people kind, like no matter laugh. how. <laughs> <laughs> and that I interrupt People don't you like that like I go that. Mm-hmm, all the time. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know, it's fine. Uh, like, and that's okay because like not all people are for us. We don't have to be right. for everyone. And that's not, not an excuse to be an asshole all the you. time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not all podcasts are for you. So if you don't like it, you don't need to leave a review. Um <laughs> 
just stop listening. Um, yeah, no, and like the idea <laughs> of weekend. Fucking love that <laughs> little outburst right there. I loved it. Right, we can. It's okay. It is okay that people don't like us. It's all about like it's chill. It's cool. Like let it go, and you're like, just stop listening. (laughs) Don't Uh, like it. You don't have to listen. Okay. Um, No, and like, it's okay to be not liked, right? Like, it's not okay to be like a dick to everyone in your life. Yes. It is okay sometimes to be a dick to some people. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's fine. Yeah. But it also is like. No, we're not. It is an impossible goal yep. to think that everyone's going to like you. It's like that that quote that you said in our Lisa, last Patreon episode of like. Lisa Oliveira, the Patreon yes. is going to be airing this Wednesday. That's right. Um, yes. Imperfection <laughs> is the, the opposite order. <laughs> yep. Imperfection is the only option. Yes, it's the only option. People yeah. not liking you, some people not liking you is the only option. Like yeah. there's no, there's no other way to move through the world because who knows for whatever reason, but people are just not going to like us and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. I have thoroughly enjoyed this check-in topic. Um, <laughs> we've kind of gone all, all over the place, but I fucking enjoyed that journey. Um, and I feel like it bodes well for the rest of the show. So you ready to get into these letters? Let's do it. All right. So the first letter is from Bittersweet Nostalgia, who it, pro, whose pronouns are she, her, and who is writing to us from Central Coast, California. I'm curious of how you deal with photos and keepsakes from relationships past. I've recently been taken out by the good-natured Google reminder. I back up my photos with Google Photos, and it likes to remind me. Sorry, my earphone. I mean, my ear <laughs> fell out. <laughs> of my cavernous ears. <laughs> Why are your ears holes so big? Uh, I don't know. They're, I have like little elf ears if you're watching along in the video. And I know I say your ears little are so ears. dainty. They're not dainty. They're they're huge and elvish. Um, okay, so if you want to know what we're talking about, you can watch this episode um, on, on, on our YouTube. You can subscribe. Uh, anyway, sorry about that, folks. <laughs> I just <laughs> tried to catch it while talking. Um, uh, okay. I back up my photos with Google Photos, and it likes to remind me of the photo highlights years later. OneDrive does the same thing, even for those of us who don't back up their photos. Surely you'll have some you have some laying around somewhere on this day x years ago you were having the time of your life at this very special place with this very special x that you for whatever reason don't talk to anymore do you delete the photos you shared with that special person do you take photos out of frames and toss them do you have a memory box that you hide deep in your closet most (laughs) most recently google photos reminded me of going to a playoff hockey game several years ago with my dad and it dawned on me looking at the date of that photo that it was the last time I saw him the benign Mm. reminder was a kill shot and I broke down in tears I love your podcast and I'm fully on board with the block 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 approach to moving on but do you how 
Do you feel the same way about photos and mementos? I suppose a simple solution to my conundrum is to turn off the Google Google reminder. The truth is, I like holding on to memories and photos and various keepsakes. I don't want to get rid of them. The challenge for me is recategorizing the memories to be no longer painful. How do you hold on to memories of previous relationships? How do you feel seeing photos of previous relationships and special moments? How do you and your spouse handle this situation differently this is a great fucking question and deeper than the the just the photos as the letter writer gets to it's like not just like how do you deal with photos of past relationships but how do you deal with the memories the good memories of relationships that no longer exist Mm. um but first just like on the surface so sam one, do you keep photos, you know, or like Facebook reminder or I mean, memories when you were on Facebook or things like mm-hmm. that? And two, mementos, like gifts that people gave you. Um, I guess, like, how do you cleanse yourself of those things or do you keep them around? And are you, are you a nostalgic person? I don't actually know that. <laughs> um, I'm a nostalgic person. I don't necessarily feel very nostalgic about my romantic relationships. (laughs) There are a couple that I feel nostalgic about. Um, And I do have keepsakes from relationships past. And I do have like photos of, of relationships past that like do come up um, sometimes in like, particularly like the iPhoto stuff. Like it'll like, memories from this day or whatever it is. And it'll be like, Oh, that's that time that I went with that person to that place. Like exactly what you're, what you're referring to. Um, and I am a nostalgic person. And I also think that my, I benefit from my nostalgia being generally positive for me, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) I don't generally like look at photos and I'm like devastated by what's happening. Like, I think that I generally experience them as being like, Oh, what a, like what a great time that was like, that sort of like, ooh, I I do feel that pang of like bittersweet of like, oh, and now that time is gone. But it is sort of like a um, like oh, I I recognize why this relationship didn't work out with this person. Like I for sure like wish it had gone different, or I miss them, or whatever it is. And like it it feels very sort of like separate from my today experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it doesn't yeah. necessarily like come in and like infiltrate my moment of today. Right. Um, so I generally keep them. Like I don't delete them. Like some of like from like toxic people. Sure. Like I don't need their memories to like come back on my, (laughs) on my iPhone. Um, like that doesn't serve me and I don't need it. Um, but like gifts they've given me. Sure. Like why would I, why would I throw out a gift (laughs) because it hurts you i don't know (laughs) yes it's like that time that my ex was like sort of weird about coming to my house when i wasn't there um and left me a cupcake one time and then everyone was like oh my god you throw it out and i was like no i ate the cupcake like why would i not eat the cupcake and everyone's like what if if he poisoned it and i was like what a good way to go you know what i mean like eating a cupcake if i had to pick (laughs) trusting you know that's the metaphor is trusting (laughs) the universe not to be evil (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly Um, yeah, I think I, I'm nostalgic, um, but I get like a little, I get like a little violent in my breakups, meaning I have to like aggressively, (laughs) (laughs) not actually enacting violence, but I have to like aggressively cleanse, you know, because I'm terrible at setting boundaries 
in breakups, as you know, because you've set them for me. Um, <laughs> so, true. like, I have to delete all photos. You know, I have to delete phone numbers. You know, I have to, like, I have to, like, do do the full cleanse so that I can have, like, a clean break yeah. um, or else I will be messy until the end of time. However, um, I am thinking about one particular relationship that was good, you know, mm-hmm. like was inherently good and just didn't work. And, and that is hard. That's hard to see that. I think, I think I can't, I, I don't have a, I don't have a kill shot example the way uh, the letter writer does, but I have looked at um, photos or mementos from that relationship and felt a pang of nostalgia, not because I want that relationship back, but I think in a similar way that the letter writer like touched on just sort of acknowledging like time passed and, mm-hmm. and lost and love lost and just like, and just sort of like the unbelievability of it. Like, Oh wow. In this moment in time, I was loved by you and you loved mm-hmm. me. And there's something, mm-hmm. there's something bittersweet about that. Even if you're happy, you know, even if you've moved on, um, yep. even, you know, even if this person turned out to be a total dick and like broke your heart to look back on that tent and, and, and to know that in that moment it was true and tender and loving is, I think it's hard. It's a lot it's a lot for our hearts to comprehend. I think that's the tricky thing about photos. Like at the end of the day, we are like archaic mammals <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we look at a photo and, and think like, Oh, how could I, all of these feelings, how can we process all these feelings at once? You know, gratitude that the relationship is over or gra- gratitude that you survived it. Nostalgia for when it felt good or missing that person, wanting their love back. Um, the audacity that you loved them in the first place, you know? Um, I think that a lot of emotions can come up. Um, I'd like to approach the question of this letter in terms of like the physical keepsakes and photos um, in the way that we talk about like Instagram and our access to our exes, you know, 20, wait, 20 years ago, when did the internet become a thing? Who knows? <laughs> 3,000 years ago, <laughs> right. uh, mm-hmm. during the age of dial-up. Um, <laughs> w- anyway, you know, there was a time in the not-so-far future that our it was physical photos and not this um, robot-generated um, kill shots. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would like to... I would like to address it like, okay, well, what would I have access to um, before the internet and how would I deal with those photos? I probably would with, I would have a keepsakes box box. I've had a, I've had a box of photos in the past and I put that box away. And then when I'm ready, like the letter writer said, when, when it's no longer a kill shot and, and instead just a soft, tender remembering, um, then I can look at that box again. Um, and to be honest, the, the photos that I have kept, that like that I tucked away until I could look at them without feeling hurt, you know, because they were important to me. I kind of grew out of too. enough pot time passed where the specialness mm-hmm. of them, the, the urge to want to keep them. I, I, I would look at the photo and I would no longer feel hurt and I would no longer feel nostalgia and I would no longer feel feel gratitude, I would just 
feel presentness. And maybe that is the goal to get to a point where like, you don't need these things. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That was just like some random musing, but do you think it's like, how would you feel if your, your partner had a ton of photos from your, from their past relationships? That's a great question. I think I would feel fine with it. You know, like it's, my phone is full of photos of things that are like no longer present in my life. Um, like there's thousands of photos on there. Um, probably of like exes. Absolutely. hundred percent sure that there are exes in there. Really? Um, Your phone goes that far back. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'm also thinking that like, I don't totally understand the cloud and and (laughs) routinely delete photos that like, um, like my most recent ex until this current relationship, I deleted all of the photos of that motherfucker. Legit. (laughs) And I would be happy if, if Peter had photos, um, of his former loves because like that's a part of his life. And if he wants Mm. to remember it, like cool, then he should remember it. Um, I like have letters from my high school girlfriend. So yeah, but for some reason that feels more let I'm going to use the word challenging because although I feel similarly you about as you about like if my spouse had a bunch of photos, um, I think it would be challenging for me. Like it's, I think it's hard to separate the feelings of nostalgia from the feelings of, uh, of missing or desire or, or, you know, and at least in that case of like, of, of feeling a a sense of comparison or insecurity, but that maybe that's my own. I mean, that definitely is my own has a, has a rich, emotional life right where he can miss someone and still want to be with me (laughs) you know what i mean totally like i because i have those experiences so i'm sure that he has those experiences too right where it's like um and i think that that's part of it of recognizing that your partner's emotional and life and experiences are like just as rich as yours are, yes, <laughs> right? Totally. Like they are just as complicated as you are. And so if you're looking at a photo and being have, having this flood of all of these different emotions, like then your partner is also capable of like experiencing a number of different emotions at the same time. Yes. Um, and also capable of choosing to be with you. <laughs> you know yes, what I mean? <laughs> totally. I think easier said than done, but also that's the work. That's the head and heart work that we're trying to do right now, because Mm -hmm. I, I want my wife to have like a wonderful life before me. Yep. And after me, you know, like, and also like she does, you have no control over it. Right. (laughs) No matter what you want, she has had a rich, wonderful life before you. (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. The past out of my control. Can't touch it. Can't change it. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, I think to the letter writer though, like, I think, you know what the answer is. It's about finding the healthy relationship to it, you know, recategorizing as you know, you use that word, recategorize that. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely would say like, if you know, something is going to be painful that you wouldn't want to be like surprised by a photo of your shitty ex or of a, of a family member that's no longer with you, with us, like, then I think it's absolutely okay to take those precautionary measures and turn off the reminders or, mm-hmm. or, or set aside the photos, you know, 
this is not an apt comparison, but I know for a fact that I have a fold a folder of photos of my dead dog <laughs> that I love that I I didn't want to get rid of, but I wanted them all in one place, you know, so that I could yep. go back when I wanted to be remem- reminded, when I wanted yep. to go back and I felt safe enough to put put myself into those memories, then I could open that folder, you know, um, definitely not like a parallel experience, but something that uh, it's a gift that you could give yourself just like that keepsakes box, just like the Xbox, you know, not the yep. Xbox, like the video game. <laughs> yeah, like the console. video game. Yeah. <laughs> um, the EX box. Yeah. Yeah. The EX box um, that, that we kept when we were in middle school. Um, it is okay to keep these mementos. I think um, having mementos from a past relationship is not a threat to your current one as much as our yeah. assumed monogamous, like intensely toxic romantic culture wants us to think it's not a threat. It's not a threat. Yep. Um, you know, like uh, separate the threats. Like the threat is your current partner wants to be with somebody else. That's a threat. <laughs> You know, them having a photo of someone they once cared about, but are no longer with and don't care about in the same way, someone that they have recategorized in their heart, not a threat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I'll say is that um, having memories that devastate us isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, you talked about sort of seeing that picture of your dad and like breaking down in tears, like. I recognize that that was like really painful and that like was really disruptive to whatever it was that you were trying to do. Mm. And it's not a bad thing that that happened. Like, of course you were devastated by that. Um, like, of course, seeing that and remembering that like deeply impacted you. And the ways in which those memories become less immediately devastating is by being exposed to them, right? By by having them and going through them and processing through all of those different emotions, right? Like, and if it's super disruptive to you, like for sure, take this with a grain of salt, right? Like, I don't really know how this is showing up in in your life. And like, but I know that for me, I had to spend more time thinking about my dad so that it wasn't like when I was reminded of him, suddenly my whole day was disrupted. Mm. And instead I'm often, (laughs) not always, but often now at a point where, I can see a picture of him or I can, it's Father's Day yesterday, (laughs) Uh, right? Like I can go into Target and see a bunch of Father's Day cards and not like erupt into tears. Right. But part of that is like, A, I had to be okay with the fact that like, that's the reaction my body was going to have to not just like random pictures of him that come up on my phone, but also just like stuff in the world. You know what I mean? Like, and, and then the process of, those memories coming up and me be getting more used to them. Right. So it's like, right. yep, I can, I can see those father's day cards or I can drive past the iron working building that he liked to do art at. Right. And be like, when originally it would be devastating. Now it's like, Oh, I just, I miss him. I feel so sad that he's not here anymore. Like that kind of stuff. So I think often we think of like having these big emotions like sadness are coded for us as being like, those are bad and I shouldn't have them. And I want to open up the opportunity for us to say that like those emotions aren't bad. They're difficult, right? They're challenging in a lot of ways and they're telling us something important. Um, and, and 
enlightenment doesn't mean we never have emotions like sadness or anger or nostalgia, Mm. right? That's not the goal. Mm. The goal is to have those emotions and right-size them, right? right? To say like, yep, of course I'm feeling sad. I just saw a picture of my dad, right? Like, oh yeah, of course I'm feeling sad. I'm around a bunch of people buying Father's Day cards for their Mm -hmm. alive dads while my dead one doesn't get one, right? Like, of course, of course, of course. And sadness isn't something that we need to run away from, right? It is something that is part of our experience that is telling us important things about who we are, who we love, what we're, what we're doing. Like it's, I, this is a lesson that I'm like still learning. So like I'm being real preachy, but I'm being kind of preachy to myself too. So good. Is like sadness is one of those emotions that helps us even as it feels really devastating. And again, if this is like traumatic or like disruptive or like whatever it is, like talk to your therapist about this for sure. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know you, but for me, my experience was that like, I've had to really understand that sadness is a part of my experience of grief of moving on and that it's not, and my letting go of the idea that it's somehow bad for me has let me experiencing it in a much more productive and less scary way. Like it's not like, oh God, I'm feeling sad and I'm never going to feel anything else ever again. Or like, this is bad. I'm having a bad reaction. It's like, no, of course I'm feeling sad. Why wouldn't I be? And this like happiness is an emotion that is important and will also pass, right? There will be other things available to me after after I experience this awful, painful, but also delightful sadness, right? Mm. Like this, this important sadness is what I'll call it. Um, So I don't know if that's what you're experiencing, but that is something that has, I've really had to process through and continue to process through in my experience of grief, not just for my dad, but also for like who I was in my twenties or like the places where I've been or the friends that I've lost or all of these different things of experiencing that sadness is something that's really important and not something that I should be trying to run away from. I think that's so beautiful and profound. And I'm going to say something like a thousand times less profound right now to end the letter. (laughs) Um, I just wanted to say really quickly, um, also for the other side of the spectrum of folks that are like, oh, but I have these pictures from this very important relationship and I don't know what to do with them. Um, And I feel like I'm a bad person or I'm not like honoring this whatever important thing by holding on to them uh, or by, by getting rid of them. Um, you don't, you can get rid of the photos. You can get rid of the For gifts. Sure. You can get, you can take the photos out of the frame. You can burn them. You can throw them away. Even if you loved that person, even if they were really important to you, I think that um, I just don't want to add to the stress of like keeping more things around. I promise that this was way more superficial than Sam's last really beautiful point, but I just <laughs> wanted to say it. It feels so cheap to say it right now, but it was on my mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I think it's important, right? We all, we all handle and move through grief differently. And so, so yeah. if the thing that you need is to get rid of those photos and not think about that person. Yeah. Like, you're great. not like cold or, or like, no. un, you know, you're not heartless for not being nostalgic. Like I get rid of photos. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. just delete them. I throw them away. Right. Like me, mm-hmm. pictures of me in my old life with my ex that I loved don't really have a place in my heart and my life um, right now. So I, I yeah. get rid of them um, and mm-hmm. that's okay too. Absolutely. But Sam's point was like way better. So if you want to just like end it there. (laughs) I was in my mind. I was like, man, this is such a beautiful, great point. I should just let him finish it. (laughs) 
and like end the letter beautifully. And instead yep. I was like, yeah, throw the letters away. I mean, the pictures away. Anyway. That is also a okay. If you want to yes. do that, that's what you can do. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much, <laughs> my darling, bittersweet nostalgia. Um, I hope uh, that you can sit in those big feelings, as Sam says, and recognize that they, um, they're not a bad thing. And keep those photos as long as you'd like. Thanks so much yeah. for writing. Thank you. We love you. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. (laughs) Stop wasting money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... 
Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right, our next letter comes from Horny and Tired, whose pronouns are they, them, and who is writing from a cock and a hard place, winky face. So this is going to be about sex, everyone, just FYI. What if it wasn't? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, besties, I found your podcast after the most painful breakup of my life in the 2020 lockdown when I desperately Googled how to deal with heartbreak during a pandemic. I love that. Right, and then we came up. That's exciting to me. Um, I listened every day for months while doing the dishes, working out, and while staring at a muted live stream of the insurrection. Your voices have pacified my colic heart and have given me so much language and understanding for myself and my partners. Thank you. I'll try to keep this letter bearable and length and coherence. My partner, he, him, 29, and myself, they, them, 34, have been dating for a few months now. Let's call him Frank Cathy. We got back together after a six and a half year break from dating in 2016 and 2017. We are both alcoholics and have both separately quit drinking after five collective years of sobriety between us and come back into each other's lives more whole and capable people. Mm. For years, I thought the sole reason for the dysfunctions in our relationship together was our, our alcohol abuse. I always thought to myself, if he would just stop drinking, he'd be my perfect ideal person to build a life with. For a decade, I found myself in codependent alcoholic relationships with abusive men who I thought would be perfect for me if they would just quit drinking and very much thought that I could influence them to do so. I didn't think I could quit drinking on my own and place that responsibility on my partners. Mm. I felt hopeless on my own and hopelessness had a way of absolving us of any personal responsibility. Am I right? LOL, LOL, LOL. After Frank Cathy and I broke up in 2017, I didn't date or have sex for three years after. The only way I could assure that I could break my cycle was to not engage in alcohol or dating or sex. Those three years were some of the best and lonely years of my life and served as evidence to myself that I had control over my actions and choices and that I was not doomed to a life of cyclical abuse. Mm. Not having sex for that long was very difficult as I'm a very sexual person. I just didn't know how to participate in sex in a way that didn't rob me of something. Surprise, I have a history of sexual abuse and surprise, it affected my ability to approach sex in healthy ways throughout my teen years and all of my 20s. I quit drinking on my 30th birthday and quickly realized that I had not had sex without the aid of a substance ever. In fact, I didn't even know how to do most things without alcohol, especially socialize, as my personality had been shaped by drunk, sad, gay male culture. Yucky. I had always been into public, kinky, intensive sex with a sweet spot for bathhouse play. I just didn't know how to access those head spaces when, after I quit drinking. In 2020, I was introduced to a sexual metropolis located in the Midwest near where I live, which has 700 acres of beautiful land and water. It's a nude kink camp where hundreds of men gather to have sex with each other in streams, by the pools, in slings erected outside of tents and trailers. Grown men and envy people of all body types and ages participating in all types of kinks out in nature, returning at night to campfire and laughter. Over the past two years, I have immersed myself in the community I have found there and have made friends and lovers who I spend time with on and off seasons. 
That camp and the community of people in it, in addition to years of therapy and head and heart work, have gotten me to a place sexually where I feel genuinely liberated from the sexual pain of Mm. my past. So much has healed within me, and I am finally living my best and most authentic sexual life. So anyway, that brings us to now and me and Frank Athy. He really is my ideal partner in every way imaginable, except one, and I'm getting there, I promise. (laughs) He is kind, treats me right. We have fun and enjoy a lot of the same things. He gives me space to love my lovers and go to the nude camp. We laugh a lot, and he's so, so sweet and thoughtful, and I really can see us sharing a future together and being happy. However, I'm afraid we aren't sexually compatible anymore. I'm starting to wonder if we ever were sexually compatible to begin with because the first time we dated, there was a lot of sexual dysfunction and missed connections between us, and I never really had my needs met. I just thought it was a symptom of the alcohol. Now that the alcohol is out of the equation, I'm starting to feel resentment towards him all over again for not meeting my sexual needs. This shows up in a myriad of ways, like I get a new sex toy and excitedly introduce him to it, and he stares at me and it like I'm crazy. I ask and ask him to initiate certain sexual acts, explaining that it is hard for me to be the only one initiating and that it would really turn me on if he did it from time to time, only to be met with weeks of silence, as if the conversation never even happened. I'm the only one who initiates sex, and he shuts down when I bring up our sex lives and how to connect deeper within it. Recently, I was shopping for a sex link online and showed him a picture of what I was thinking of buying, and he flatly said, oh... Then nothing. I asked him, do you want me, do you want to try using it with me? He replied saying, sure. I told him that I've seen him get more excited over drive through condiments than the prospect of fucking me in a sling, and that I don't think it's too much to ask for a little enthusiasm. I'm really hot, like what the fuck? There are small rejections almost daily of my sexual advancement and it hurts really bad. I'm also sure to communicate that if what I'm asking for is outside of something that he wants to participate in, that's okay, he just has to tell me. He asserts that he's into it and assures me that he'll get better, then doesn't. He says things like, you're always horny when I tell him I'm horny. Or he'll keep his clothes on when I get naked and lounge about the house, and it feels like he does it as a barrier for sex. Last week, I was picking on him over inconsequential annoyances that he brought it, and he brought it to my intention that I had been picking on him for a few days and wondered what was up. I explained that I'm really harboring some resentment towards him because I'm the only one starting conversations about sex and he's not meeting my needs despite me literally giving him roadmaps to them. I told him that I don't want to go back to a place of being shut down sexually and that I can't stay in the relationship if inaction and indifference is going to be his approach to sex with me. This hurt him deeply and we took some space to think about everything. He shared with me when we talked that my sexuality is so loud and big that it silences him. Mm. And my relationship with my lovers in the camps make him feel like he can't meet my needs. He tells me that his fear of not meeting my needs turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy and he shuts down. Mm. He asked me to keep trying with him and that he knows he has it in him to be open sexually and to work on this aspect of our relationship. I never doubt his love for me and I never doubt my love for him. We are undoubtedly in love and also I'm suffering in these crossed wires. I know he wants to meet my needs. I believe him when he tells me that he does. I also believe him when he tells me that my sexuality intimidates him and makes him feel small. But I'm not able to shrink down to a mode of sexual expression that makes him feel more secure. Now, it's been a few days, and already I feel like it's being pushed under the rug again, even though I see him trying, and I'm so angry that it feels like too little too late. I'm angry at this incompatibility, and I'm angry at him. I don't know if I have it in me to keep trying. I deserve a great sex life, and I am done begging men in my life to see me, to celebrate me, and to participate in pleasure with me. And that's what it feels like, begging. It feels like I get a commitment to work on it only when I'm on the way out the door and not when I'm inside the house in the bed next to him. 
Obviously, it's not working. I'm afraid, though, that if I leave, it will be too soon. I'm afraid of hurting him. I'm afraid that if I leave now, it would be a missed opportunity to build a sexual relationship with him, which nourishes both of us. What do y'all think? For weeks, all I keep thinking to myself is, I really wish I knew what Sam and Sierra would say about this. Thank you for all that you've given queer listeners. Okay, bye. Oh my gosh, I love you. Thank you so much for writing, horny and tired, um, and for listening and trusting us with this question. I love the sentiment of, I wonder what Sam and Sierra would say about this. Like, I just find that so charming and I appreciate it. Um, Should make bracelets. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) WWJD, what would Jesus do? What what would it be? WW, what would S, W W S A S T A T. Sastat. <laughs> is that what that fucking spells? Sastat? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's because a lot of letters. <laughs> I'm making merch. I'm making merch soon. So, WW, what would Sierra and Sam say about this? Yeah, Sastat. That's great. WWSA. No, no, it's that feels, that feels cultish to me, and I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. So, um, first of all, um, (laughs) horny and tired. I just want to say like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for getting sober, for doing that time, that, that necessary abstinence time, um, that you gifted yourself to better, to, to walk further down that path of yourself. Um, and, uh, it sounds like you've really come into a language of yourself. You've been able to find the words and um, the needs and the ways to articulate those needs that really make you feel like your most authentic self in this iteration of life right now. And I'm proud of you. That takes a lot of work. And I know Mm -hmm. that this is partly some of this frustration that you're experiencing right now, I think is because you worked so hard to get here and now you want the payoff of that labor, which is like totally reasonable. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you worked really hard to come back to yourself and um, it's really reasonable that you, that you're getting frustrated um, that your partner can't really meet you here because, um, because you deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It sounds, it's incredible to me, the amount of like self-awareness work that you have been doing to understand yourself so much better. Yes. Um, and doing that in, in the context of sobriety too, um, is, is a really remarkable and profound thing. So like, it's exciting that, that, that is something that you are now sort of leaning into. Um, and I, I want to say flat out that like, if you want to leave this man because he's not having the kind of sex that you would like to have. And that's a deal breaker for you. Like you are a hundred percent justified in that opinion, right? You're, if this is something that is like core to your understanding of how to be in relationship with people and how to be yourself, and you're, right. And you're not really wanting to change that, right? Like if this is really deeply important to you, like you are a hundred percent justified in, in, breaking up with this person, right? Cause he's not, he's not meeting that sort of core need that you've identified and you've been trying, right? You've been sort of saying these things and expressing these things. Um, and recognizing that like, it isn't necessarily his fault that he's struggling with like the sex stuff. It's not necessarily your fault that you are really looking for more sex more. in ways that you want to have that type of sex. And that incompatibility 
even though it's neither of your faults necessarily, can end the relationship, right? Because there are so many things that are part of our relationships that are outside of our control that lead to incompatibility. And at the same time, I also want to create space for the idea that your version of sex, right? Like your version of what a sexual relationship looks like isn't the only or best way to have a sexual relationship with people, right? Right. And I do want to create space for the idea that you might be assigning a lot of value and meaning to this lack of sex that your partner, Frank Athey, may not be assigning to it. Right. Um, And that like this sort of idea that that the fact that he's not having sex with you is because he doesn't want to celebrate you or doesn't want to participate in pleasure with you is like not necessarily what's happening. Right. I understand that it's like very real for you and that's how you're experiencing it. And that is absolutely true. Like I don't want to I don't want to diminish the way that you're experiencing it. What I do want to say is that your experience of it isn't the only experience of it. And there's an opportunity to challenge yourself to say, okay, well, what I'm, the story I'm telling myself about this lack of sex is that he doesn't celebrate me, that he doesn't want to participate with me in this important part of my life. I don't know that that's the true story of why this is happening Mm. or, or whether that story is true for him. Um, And again, if you're at a point where like, this is, this is something that I need. Great. Like you don't have to do the work to like, to, to be in this relationship with him. And I want to say that like, this may also be a thing that happens with future partners too. Right. Totally. Because our experiences of what sex is and what sex means are going to always be inherently different. Right. We may find places where there's like some alignment, but we're all different people on different bodies with different experiences of sex. And so it's never going to match up perfectly. Right. Yeah. I love that, Sam. Um, because in this letter, I genuinely relate to both. Like I have been there Mm -hmm. with a partner saying like, this is how I want you to honor me. This is how I want you to fuck me. This is how I want to be touched. Or can you do this for me? Can you meet me here? You know, like so much of communication, we think it's like meeting each other on a bridge, right? But Mm -hmm. a lot of the times it feels like not only they're not meeting us on our side of the bridge, we have to fucking build the bridge and then cross it and go get them (laughs) to come to our side of the bridge. Right. Like I've been on the side also about intimacy. You know, I've been in the place of having a history of a bad relationship to sex and a bad relationship to my body and my boundaries and finally being at a place where, where I think I get it and being like, uh, I'm sorry, you don't want to like go down on me or like I have to, te- you know, like, you know, yeah. um, I didn't have the journey that our letter writer did, but I relate to being like feeling unhonored. Really? That's, that's like yeah. a great way to feel it, you know, in order to describe it. And I know what it's like to be on the other side of it where the, there is this terrifying vulnerability, this mounting pressure And the combination of the two makes action so hard. It's, it's the, the, the pressure to when the, when the pressure is on and when it comes Mm -hmm. to sex too, like there's so much vulnerability about this. And I feel like, um, the pressure to be, 
to get everything right often is hard to wade through. It's hard to like approach a task when you yeah. when you feel like you are being when not only is the pressure on, but you're being watched, you're being you're being interpreted. Every 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 word you say is being yep. is being taken as a sign. And honestly, I'm also guilty of that. Like the sure, mm-hmm. like do you want to fuck me in this sling? Sure, or sure, or however he said it. We don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But I have been the person that's like, I'm sorry. Was that an enthusiastic shore or was that like a passive shore? I'm hurt by that. You know, I'm hurt by the way my wife says things all the time, which is like the most lesbian thing I've ever said in my entire life. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, it's not what you said. It's how you said it, honey. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, uh, you know, anyway, there's just a lot of pressure here and you're both feeling it. And I also relate with with your partner in the fact that that would make me freeze up. That would make me feel extremely Mm. anxious and, and intimidated like the whole, the, the, the camp and your lovers. I love that for you. I'm so happy you found that. It sounds like such a holistic healing space for you. And that's all I could ever wish for all of our listeners. And also, if I was your partner, I would be hella intimidated by the 700 acres of lovers that are able to fuck you better than I can, you know, that are healing to you, too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that is not to take away from that healing at all. And that's not even an accurate. I don't think that's an accurate interpretation of your partner's feelings. Like he Mm -hmm. he's happy for you. He loves this for you. And also, that's like a very steep steep tab to sort of be able to pay for by yourself. And I also want to say that um, when it comes to sex, there is so much stigma and there are often so few, I don't want to say like so few helpful resources, but like so few accessible resources to help us like work through the trauma of of sex (laughs) itself, right? Like, and all of the different, like, shit that goes along with it. Um, That it may be that your partner does want to do something about it, but maybe at a loss of, like, how to go about it, right? Because, like, even thinking about, you know, when we um, interviewed uh, Casey, uh, who runs the Queer Sex Therapy Instagram, right? Like, one of the most profound things that they, that we talked about, right, was, like, I said something like, oh, I never talked to my therapist about sex. And they were, like, has your therapist ever asked you about sex? And I was like, mm. no, no, he has not. And I love my therapist. Like, I, I'm really not trying to disparage it. I hope that he doesn't listen to this podcast, but maybe he does. Um, and it was like, yeah, because therapists don't get trained in sex therapy, right? Like, it is not a required curriculum for people to get their degree in in mental health counseling. Um, and so just like thinking about how intimidating it is not only to be like, exactly what Sierra said of like having a very sexually sort of um, healed partner while you're struggling with that, being told that like you're not having enough sex or you're not doing it in the right ways or you're not enthusiastic enough about it. And then also feeling this thing of like, well, where do I even go to start doing some of this stuff? And I know that this camp really worked for you and that camp isn't going to work for everyone. Right. And it can be really hard for us to figure out what is my path to finding a way to navigate sex in a way that that works for me. The other thing that I wanted to talk about too was um, I would encourage you to read the book Ace by Angela Chen. I'm not saying that your partner is asexual, 
But one of the things that Angela talks about in that book that I found so profound is this sort of um, the different types of consent and what that looks like and may feel like for people who are either giving or receiving that kind of consent. And often we think about sex as being like, yes, enthusiastic consent. Like I'm in it. I really want to do it right now. And I'm like ready to do it. And there's also types of consent that are more like, I don't know that I really want to do it right now, but I know that when we start, I'll want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And oh both God, of those. That is hundred percent my consent all the time, except for Same. like some Absolutely. That is, that is a million, per- <laughs> yeah, million percent my consent. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. Okay. All right. This is great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, that is exactly it. Um, and that might also be something that's coming out here. And again, you're sort of assigning a meaning to that type of, of consent that may not be there, right? Wow. Because like, it may be that your partner isn't as sort of like enthusiastically horny all the time. And the saying, uh, getting asked that question of, hey, do you want to fuck me in the sling sometime? And him saying, sure, might not be like, oh, I, I don't want to do this, but might be like, I'm not sure if I want to do it now, but like, if we get started, then I would definitely do it, right? Like, and so I would just encourage you to be thinking about, the ways in which people are responding to you and what sort of meaning or story you're impl- you are reading into the things that they're saying. Not in a way to negate your own experience, right? Yeah. That is not what I'm trying to we do love here you. because We're your experience is 100% real. Yes, absolutely. I love it. And even when we pract- even when we come into ourselves in a different way, we are still really capable. And in fact, I think often we're like more capable of assigning things to other people, right? Because we're like so in touch with like, this is how I'm experiencing it and I know it because I can feel it in my body. I can feel it in my heart and I can feel it in my head. Like all of those things. And you're not accessing why it's happening. those things because you aren't, you know, or right. whatever. And so then I can look at you and say, I know exactly what you're feeling because I felt that thing and I know exactly, but it's never, it's never like, no matter how much self-awareness we do, we can never fully know what other people are experiencing unless we get really curious about it. Right. Like unless they tell us the things that they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, which again, it's all to say like your experience is a hundred percent valid. And so is Frank Athies in this relationship. Yeah. I am just sitting here thinking right now, how often I, I'm so guilty of this and I just, I'm saying this out loud so that I can be like, work on this, Sierra. (laughs) Um, Assigning a meaning to something my partner says without A, being curious or B, just listening to what they're saying. Like I am so bad at trying to find the underlying message that my partner doesn't want to say or I... I'm just like calling myself out. I'm just, I'm sitting in my own accountability right now being like, damn, Sierra, (laughs) you got to stop trying to figure out what everybody is trying to say to you. And you just have to listen, you know, or you have to be Mm. curious. You have to, you have to trust them to tell you or whatever. And also I wanted to say, I love that we're so hypocritical right now because we have this podcast. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> Where we like assign meaning to what everyone else does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's literally communication, number one. <laughs> um, uh, and number two, you know, it's I, I don't think I could, after a thousand years of practice, I still don't think I would stop trying to figure out what people meant when, you know, by what they said. Um, yep. 
And also we can always practice more curiosity. The, the point I wanted to make too, connecting to, to the, to the pressure aspect that you were saying about like, um, the sure, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think too, that your partner probably knows how much you want from him right now, how, and what you want. He knows how the, the, the pressure that you're both under right now to make it work. You know, he knows what you want from him. You guys have had multiple conversations about this, you know, and so when you show him a new sex toy, I can imagine that in the back of his mind, it's like, oh my God, say the right thing or don't be intimidated by this or, oh, Mm -hmm. I bet um, I bet my partner gets to use the sex toy with their lovers and, and that's, and that's why they're buying it. Not because they want to use it with yeah. me, you know, like, or even like, or even the idea of like, I, I, I'm, I appreciate that. You're like, I'm buying the sex toy to help like rev him up and get him excited. And there may be an instance where he's looking at that sex toy and being like, okay, cool, great. Another thing that I have to figure out how to use on you, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. oh, cool. Another way in which I, or another which thing I have to try. Which doesn't mean you're too or much. Like, yep. It's no, just absolutely not. Th- your partner's reaction to that sex toy might not mean, oh my God, I'm bored of having sex with you or God, your right. sex, you know, your sex drive is just exhausting. It doesn't mean that, but it it can be, you know, intimidating or the, the pressure to get it right because, because your relationship is, is, is weighing on this, you know, like, um, like you said in the letter, this could be why this relationship ends. Um, so it's hard for everybody. I really hope you hear us when we say we love you, that, that this is a, <laughs> I'm, I'm genuine, you know, you know, this is real for you too. Like that we, mm-hmm. we love this journey for you. We, we love how empowered you feel. And we, Sam and I know better than most from the hundreds of letters that we read that sometimes the best of partners are just still incompatible to us, period. Yep. Right. So yep. at the end of the day, if this isn't right for you, I walked away from somebody who was so right for me and we were physically incompatible. Period. Like I just could not be with that person long time, long term. So I give you all of that blessing, you know, Um, but also another thing, a couple of things to think about a couple more um, (laughs) W-W-S-S-S-A-S, whatever, Um, (laughs) trail off Uh, things to think about Um, feathers for your cap. Um, One. Maybe this partner does not have to be sexually compatible to you. Right. Like, like if you, I wonder where your needs are going to fall, um, it along this never ending journey of the self. Right. And maybe this partner can just be a less sexually compatible primary partner. Right. Or mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what the your social your relationship agreement is, but like yep. um I wonder what you need from him if you stop assuming that his approach to your sexuality is a form of rejection. If you stop right. thinking that this is about him censoring you or smothering you or not being or 
not being excited for you and not, and not celebrating you. Maybe the way he loves you right now and the way he fucks you right now is, is enough in this particular relationship agreement, Yep. you know, and, and maybe it isn't, I Mm -hmm. keep going back and forth because like, I'm, I think in a different letter articulated in a different way, I'd be like, yeah, it sounds like you guys aren't compatible, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, because sometimes that is it. That is enough, you know, but like maybe you could do some head and heart work to view his love for you as enough as is. Right. Um, because I don't, because me and Sam, two strangers from across the world, don't necessarily, from what we know, see his approach to your sex life as a rejection. It feels like right. one, though. Oh, my God. I also, really quickly, before you jump in, um, small rejections over time are so exhausting and deeply painful and deeply triggering. So I should have acknowledged that first, um, mm-hmm. that the type of, like, it's almost like you're, like, getting your hopes up and then getting them crashed down a hundred times a day because it's like, oh, here's an opportunity for you to tell me that you do love me. Here's an opportunity for you to tell me that you do want me. Look, yep. I'm I'm opening the door for you to come in to this vulnerability and sit in it with me. And again and again and again, that door is closed in your face. And that's that's really hard. That's like a particularly hard form of rejection. And I'm sorry that you're experiencing that. And also at the same time, your partner's actions and words might not mean the rejection that you feel. It might not have, it might not be what he's trying to communicate. I think one of the things to also think about too, is that like we can lay out, like you said, we can lay out the roadmap to meet our needs and we can't expect our partner to just meet our needs, (laughs) like all of them. You know what I mean? And like Sierra's metaphor of like, we're trying to build the bridge and then like bring them over to your side. I think it's like, it's important to remember that like your space around how sexually sort of liberated you are and how horny you all are all the time, right? Like is working really well for you. And it's like the place where you want to be. And your partner is in this other place where he really wants to be. Yeah. And the point isn't to sort of like create the roadmap and say, okay, come to my side, please. Right. The point is to create this roadmap and then figure out like what third place you are going to operate in together. And so like my question for you is or my encouragement for you, if you are going to stay in this relationship, is not just to express your needs, but also to come up with some sort of agreed upon way that you all are going to function sexually. And that doesn't mean just like you're going to fix yourself and you're going to meet me over here, mm. which I am not saying that you've said explicitly, but can totally imagine that that is what Frank Cathy heard in the way that you articulated it and instead say, okay, so this is something that we we've agreed that we both want to work on, right? We want to be in more sexual stuff together. So what does that look like? Does that look like we have an agreed upon day that we that we do this? Does that mean that we introduce like one toy at a time? Does that mean that, you know, we agree that like you initiate sex like at least once a month? Like literally, I want you to come up with yep, like the too. things, the protocols that you're going to use with each other in uh, the work, <laughs> not the work, in the relationship that you're going to be 
embarking on together, right? Like, um, I want you to think about like, what are the sexual agreements that you're going to be making with each other? Because it's not that, like I said, it's not that you just drag somebody to your understanding of how sex should work, but that you two are different people in a relationship with each other who have different understandings of what sex can, should, what you want it to look like. And so it's really challenging to do that for sure. And I know that that means that you're going to have to compromise on some sex stuff, which may feel really, really uncomfortable for you, given that you yes, have you found do. such a way to be comfortable right. in your sexuality in that particular place, you know, with that 700 right. acres of, of fucking, right? So like... <laughs> Episode title. Episode title. Hundred percent. Yep. And then iTunes will immediately be like, "This title is inappropriate." Um, ah, fuck them. Right. And like, that's the place where you have found a lot of comfort, and it's great that you found that. Right. Like, amazing. Like, it's so great that you found a place where you can be sort of like authentically who you are in relationship with other people, and that doesn't actually happen in relationships all the time. And again, if this is a deal breaker for you, if you are like literally yes. like I just want to be with someone who's going to fuck me in the way that I want to be fucked, I I don't blame you. Yeah. But I Get also want to make sure literally. that you're like I want right? you to. <laughs> I also want to just make sure that you are not again imposing this sort of understanding around what is best or right when it comes to sex onto your partner who is engaging in sex in the way that feels best and right for him. So right. Just, just things to ponder. You asked us what you wanted, what we would think about it. And so this is, these are all the things that I think about it. Yeah. And one more thing from, um, Camp Sierra, which is only like two acres of sex, unfortunately, (laughs) (laughs) um, zero acres of fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, is I just want to touch on resentment for a second because I Mm. have the, um, what's the word? Like inclination yep i tend to 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 resent like that is a very easy emotional path for me resentment sure i i think it's a way for me to protect myself or hang on to my anger or feel justified in my anger because i was taught for so long that to be accommodating instead of being angry you know Mm, to accommodate people's needs instead of Um, hold them accountable to mine. And so resentment is like, it's my way for me to hang on to emotions that I think that are going to protect me. You know, Um, if it's a lot easier for me to hold people accountable, if I'm like, oh God, they are treating me poorly and I resent them for this instead of, instead of sitting in it all. Um, So I just Mm want to say like, I understand what you're feeling right now. It's, it's been a, a path of small rejections, right? It's been a, it's been a path of you putting yourself out there and you feeling rejected and that's hard and painful. And that affects the way we feel about ourselves. Like it's, it's draining. And I'm, and I'm sorry for that. And also resentment can drain vulnerability from communication like that Mm. so quickly. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about sex and we're talking about intimacy and we're talking about partnership, um, we need to be in a vulnerable, vulnerable space. We need to be in a curious space. Um, and so just as Sam said, ponder your resentment and do the best that you can in a way that feels safe. Because again, we want, you know, like, I want you to be angry if, if, if that's what you feel, you know, if you're, if, 
if your boyfriend isn't providing for you, like I, I don't want to take away any of these feelings of empowerment. Um, hmm. And also I want you to be able to show up to these conversations and leave as much resentment at the door. Like even just like mentally be like, I'm going to set this down for the next 10 minutes and just be curious and not try to interpret it. What you're, what you're doing, not try to, um, yep not try to guess at how you feel about me and not always assume that what you feel about me is, um, is, is hurtful or whatever. Um, because if your partner knows that you resent them and if that's coming out in those small passive aggressive ways, like teasing or whatever, like you brought up, it's just, it's just not fostering a space to be vulnerable and sex and intimacy, no matter how empowered you are, is a vulnerable thing to talk about. For sure. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that empowerment doesn't mean that we are inflexible, right? Empowerment Mm. means that we are shifting and adapting with intention and consent, right? right? Like this idea of like, I know what I want and I recognize that you want something different. And so I'm going to decide whether or not shifting in this instance is in my understanding of myself. And it might Love not be, that. right? Like it, like I said, it might be, you want to get fucked in this particular way with these particular toys. And that what that is not a place where you want to flex or adapt. Cool. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad that you know that about yourself. Yeah. Um, and in this, the context of this relationship, that flexing may actually help you get closer to what you want, which is a meaningful relationship with Frank Cathy. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're obsessed with you. We love you. Thank you for all the <laughs> kind words that you said about us. Um, every absolutely. time somebody says something about our queer listeners, um, it makes me deeply emotional. So I thank you um, for that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I'm proud of you too. Um, we hope this helps. We hope that this is what you wanted. Um, good luck. We love you. Thank you. We love you. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, our next letter comes to us from Copper IUD, whose pronouns are she, her, and who is writing to us from my cervix. Not my cervix, you know, (laughs) the letter writer's cervix. cervix. Yes. Yep. Yep. Got it. Okay. Dear Sam and Sierra, I would appreciate your feedback on this particular situation because I think the combination of y'all's insight would provide some profound and balanced advice. I love and appreciate all the work and emotional investment you both provide to your listeners. So here's how all letters start. I, she, her, 29, love my boyfriend, he, him, 29. We were college Mm. sweethearts and had a eight-year hiatus and reconnected at almost 30 years old. 
He's one of the best people I know, and he provides me with comfort and adventure. He's really such a lovely man. I can go on and on. Now to the dilemma. I'm not too sure if he's cool with not having kids. I'm selfish. I like my body. I like sleep. I don't want to go to weekend long baseball tournaments. (laughs) Sorry, but like if that's what I just signed up for having Temple, I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Just kidding. If you want to be so fun. I know, no, but like a baseball tournament. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, y'all know babies cry, right? Don't even get me started on when they're teenagers, the risque sex and talking back that comes with the angst of coming up to adult age. You can probably tell that I have a lot of anxiety surrounding this. I've always dated older men. Faves were divorced DILFs because they already had kids and were not looking to procreate anymore. But things didn't turn out that way. And now I'm with my current same age boyfriend. Wouldn't change that for the world. I've let it known from the get-go that I don't find raising children appealing, much less physically pushing one out of a hole in my body. I mean no disrespect to mothers or those who want to be moms or those of you who want to experience pregnancy but cannot. It's just not for me. He said he respects that and that right now not having kids or having kids isn't really on his radar. But every once in a while, I hear stuff like, quote, that would be cool to pass down to my grandkids. Little inclinations that sound like he wants to have kids. He's a lab research technician, a.k.a. a big science nerd, and said that the concept of pregnancy is cool. I totally agree. The way we can make a human inside another human is beyond amazing. But whenever we go to the movies or go to the grocery store and there's a child screaming, he'll make a comment like, glad that's not us. For God's sakes, he hates it when my cat's hair gets on him. Imagine a baby spitting up on you five times a day. I don't want to come off. Sierra? <laughs> uh, actually, Temple doesn't really spit up very much. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I have an angel baby. She sleeps all through yeah, the night. Yeah, just like and- the perfect baby. <laughs> It's deeply hard, though. Everything you said about it is absolutely true. Um, uh, but she just doesn't really spit up very much. Um, I don't want to come off, a cra- off as crass, and I know I sound selfish. I'm very aware that I am selfish, which solidifies that I don't want to be a caring PTA mom. I don't know why I have this opinion. I grew up with wonderful parents. They were perfect and amazing, and both of them were so involved in our lives, and I'm forever grateful to have that to have had them as my parents. I never felt unloved, but I don't think I could give a child the same amount of commitment and effort. Does this all come across as go to therapy? I digress. When, when should I have the quote, do you want to have kids talk? We've been together one year now and we do discuss us having a future together, but family planning has never really come up. I don't know if having a kids is a deal breaker for me, but I also don't want to have a child to, quote, keep him. I don't even know if he wants to have a kid. I'm scared. Sincerely, the copper IUD inside my cervix. All right, my darling copper IUD. I just want to say right out the bat, off the gate, whatever. Um... That you're back not that selfish. <laughs> yeah, back to that was like four a years later. Throwback. We still haven't mm-hmm. figured out the <laughs> the phrase. It's out the gate, <laughs> off the bat. But you know, who gives a fuck about what's right? Um, <laughs> I just want to say you're not selfish. You're absolutely not selfish. And a billion people out there become parents and are selfish as hell. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't want us to associate like parenting as a selfless act either, you know, because then we are weirdly putting people on pedestals or like, I don't know. I think it contributes to the idea 
that like childless is wrong and having children is like this ultimate like amazing act of selflessness and is the right path i think it contributes to the pressure of it you know mm-hmm. yeah and you're not selfish no, i like, absolutely agree I think Spencer um, and you and I had an amazing conversation um, during the vasectomy conversation a couple episodes ago. Um, And something that Spencer wanted to reiterate that we actually unpacked on a Patreon episode um, is like, it's cool if you hate kids, you know, like Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't make you a bad person if you're like, wow, that baby is unappealing to me, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. People don't have to want to have kids and it definitely doesn't make you, you don't come off as selfish to me at all. Like this is the conversations that we're meant to have when we decide that we hope to have, right? When we decide if we want to become parents or not. Um, And a lot of people are stripped of that decision, you know? So um, yeah, not selfish. No, absolutely not. Um, And I appreciate you sort of starting with that, that sort of, societal conversation too because i do think it's important to call out that like people with uteruses and particularly uh people who have been socialized as women there's like Mm -hmm. another element of that on on top of like not only this idea that we have that like parents are like selfless people and their decision to have children is like about the betterment of humankind or whatever but like or their life that their whole lives like get paused or whatever i mean they do for sure (laughs) right but I think it's also important to recognize the the pressure that we put on people who are socialized as women to not just want to have kids, but also to feel motherly towards children, yes. even if they are not their children, right? Like yes. you should be in the grocery store and hear the, the child screaming and be like, oh, I just want to And I just immediately give start lactating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so like, that's an important consideration for us to also be talking about too. Um, and we actually have gotten like a slew of letters recently about pregnancy, I think because of Roe versus Wade and like the potential of that being overturned. Um, so like also know that you're not alone in this experience of being like, what the fuck are kids? And like, what the fuck am I supposed to do about it? Like that's a, (laughs) I think there's a, we're in a particular moment right now where folks are really thinking a lot about that. Um, right. And the other thing that I'll say to you is like, I think when it comes to conversations like this, where we're talking about family planning, when we're talking about finances, when we're talking about like future oriented stuff, it's important that we have those conversations, not just once, right? Like it's not like a one Mm, and done mm, type of thing where you sit down and you check it off the list, but it's like a thing that needs to be recurring where it's like, okay, cool. I know that we talked about kids having kids at the beginning of the relationship. And I told you that it was kind of like a no for me. And you were like, I'm not really quite sure. How are you feeling about it now? Right. Cause it's still a hard no for me. So I want to make sure that we're like on the same page. Um, and the same thing with other big life decisions, right? So like talking about finances, like it's not just a like, cool, what's in your bank account. And then we don't talk about it for 20 years. It's like, we got to like continue to have those types of conversations. And I think some of the, the way that we've been told about these difficult conversations is that it's like, cool, you have it. And then you have the kids conversation and then you right. don't need to have it anymore. But it's like, no, you have to have the kids conversations, right? You have to continue mm. to check in, right? Like Peter and I decided pretty early in our relationship that neither of us was like super into the idea of having children. We still check in on it, right? We still are like, are we still feeling the same way? Do we want to do, do something different? Is either that, yeah. of us 
suddenly like having this impulse to say like, actually, I think it would be really nice to, to have kids, but it's, it's important for us to continue to have it because not just the idea of like, you need to figure out what your partner wants, but also like things change and I don't, I'm yes, not doing do. the thing. I promise. I am not doing the thing where it's like, you'll want to have them eventually. I am acknowledging the reality that our opinions and experiences of the world can change to say like, I do want kids and now I don't, or I wanted kids. I didn't want kids and now I do. And so it's important to continue to have those conversations because right. our goals may be different. Right? right. And that's, that's kids. That's also like finances. That's also future right. stuff. Right. Like it's like, do you still want to be in the same career or do you want to change? Like, what are the things that, you know, like these are all conversations we need to have because we're not just like set. <laughs> we are like constantly molding and like changing. We are like wet clay, as Sierra has said in the past, where we are constantly <laughs> this is an changing. episode of throwbacks. I love it. Um, yeah, I honestly like we could end the episode right now because that was so perfect. Um, I feel like there's not a textbook timeline too to talk about having children although my darling copper iud that like I, I if it's sitting on your heart if it's weighing on your heart it's time to bring it to your partner you know mm -hmm. i know that there's like might be fear and anxiety there to um because you're afraid of what he might say but like it's better to have that have those things out in the open um so that you're on the same page so that you can adjust your shared relationship vision. And if they're not compatible, then, then that is another thing that you will tackle together. Like I, I, I will share this because we had his consent to share it on a show, but like, you know, I was like very proud of Spencer, our producer as a human and as a partner to his wife, because they had multiple ongoing conversations about what did it mean for them to have kids or not have kids. And they muscled through them and they were uncomfortable at times and they were in, are empowering at times, I'm sure. Um, and then they came to this conclusion together. Um, unfortunately, that's what we have to do in our relationships to keep our visions aligned, you know, because as Sam said, we can hear something once and assume that that's set in stone forever. Um, or we don't hear it at all, you know, like, oh, you want kids ah, someday, you know, or like, I, I, I don't know. Um, I just want to empower all of our listeners and myself, honestly, to remember that it's, it's always okay to check in or to recheck in and that you want to be on the same page with somebody, even if they say something that you don't want to hear, that is a better reality than, than floating around waiting for the shoe to drop or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know what? Like pregnancy is fucking wild. Like it is a bizarre <laughs> scientific experience. And also he could, say that and a hundred percent not want to deal with the actual aftermath of the scientific experience that is pregnancy. You know, <laughs> right, um, yep. I guess this is like, if I could add one more thing to this, just the simple idea that like many things can be true at once. He can envision having grandchildren and also at the end of those laborious conversations be like, I'm not really sure this is the life for us. Or you mm -hmm. all could decide that you wanted to foster teenagers or you could decide that you never want to have children. Um, and he does. And then that is the compatibility issue that you have to deal with. You know, like um, sure. multiple things can be true at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And like you have it in your head pretty firmly that like kids are not an option. 
it sounds like he is still like on the fence about it, right? Like he doesn't know exactly what he wants. So like, it's very possible that he's thinking about grandkids, you know, like, because the possibility is still out there, even as he's recognizing like, and I don't know that I want to have kids, right? Like both of those things can be true at the same time. It's like a, like a Schrodinger's baby where it's like the baby exists and it doesn't exist. And so just again, this is one of those instances where you can sort of check your own experiences and say like, where am I placing my assumptions of like what he's experiencing too, right? right? Like in my head, I'm not going to talk about grandkids because like grandkids are a firm no, they're off the table. Whereas like his experience might be like, I'm still thinking about hypothetical grandkids because that's the way I've been thinking for a long time, even if I know yes. that that's not actually something that's going to happen. Or like that, uh, the metaphor of it, right? Like I could, I mean, yeah. I am a parent now, but I could absolutely see how like a really cool memento would be like, or an antique would be a great thing to pass along to a family member. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what he meant by that. We we won't know until you ask. I think that's just right. zo- zooming out from this letter for a second, um, this feels like JBU 2018. Like, when would you start talking about kids? Like, meaning in 2018, I felt like we answered a lot of questions much more directly <laughs> instead of like musing about the nuance of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like one of the earliest it conversations that I would have. Yeah. Um, particularly if this is a deal breaker. Um, you know, it's reminding me, God, we are really doing a lot of, of throwbacks. The conversation that we had with Olivia Gatwood, where she was like, if something is deeply important to you, like put it on your dating profile, right? right. Because if it's like a core identity of who you are, then you want to make sure that people know it up front so that they know what they're getting into and and to make sure that they're like, that they're compatible with you. And so if this, right. like if kids is a like a deal breaker for you, this is a conversation that you can have as early as possible, right? Like, I think if it's that big of a deal breaker, like put it on your dating profile. But I do think it is something like as things are getting more serious, like within the first few months of like saying like, what would you want to have kids? And again, like sometimes we think these conversations need to be really fraught. Like they don't have to be (laughs) like, we can just like check in with each other and be like, oh, so like, do you envision having any kids? And then be like, I don't. Cool. Um, Yes. But like, this is a conversation that I think you should have sooner rather than later if this is deeply weighing on your heart and if it's going to be something that could lead to like a really core incompatibility in your relationship because you want to know that rather than pretend like it's not happening. Although pretending like it's not happening is um, great sometimes too. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, (laughs) you pulled a Sierra de Mulder ending right there where I was like, uh, I'll trail off. I mean, I, I, I feel like I spend most of my life pretending like things aren't happening. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, my darling, we hope that this helps. Most importantly, we hope we, you feel um, empowered and sure of your decision to not have children. Like that's A-OK with us and it's nothing that you need to apologize for, but it is something that you need to be transparent about if that's a deal breaker for you. Absolutely. All right, my darling, good luck. We know that these conversations can be like a little hard and intimidating, but you can do it. We love you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. We hope this helps. All right, this brings us to the blind date segment of this episode. Every week we shout out something that we love that we want to set you up with. And this week we are sending you home with... A book called An Ugly Truth Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination by Shira Frankel. 
Um, this is a book about Facebook um, written by uh, a New York Times journalist um, who spent a lot of time sort of understanding and interviewing folks that have worked for Facebook, um, including for a while uh, interviewing Cheryl Sandberg, the f I think former at this point um, COO of Facebook. Um, it is a pretty unflinching examination of the ways in which uh, Facebook has created the <laughs> the current political and uh, social climate that we are operating under um, and sort of outlines a lot of the different ways in which decisions that were made by folks like Mark Zuckerberg um, have had these really long-reaching implications on how we sort of interact with each other and how we experience the world. Um, and the the really sort of profound... Um, lack of remorse uh, yeah. by the executives of Facebook about the thing that they have created. Um, and it was uh, some stuff that I knew, but it was a lot of stuff that was really new to me, uh, which was really interesting. And I appreciated the ways in which uh, sort of Frankel like laid out the, the, the path to which by which we got here um, in just like a very clear and important way. Um, and that there was like a lot of research behind it as well. So like lots of different interviews, um, a lot of different things. And it, it really sort of brought to light some of the things that I had been personally feeling about and experiencing mm. with social media and sort of this idea of like, yeah, and here's how it is playing out, not just for you as a consumer of it, but also us as a, as a world really. Cause there's a lot of stuff about stuff that was happening outside of the United States too. So, um, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was, a, uh, it was at times like a disgusting anxious read, <laughs> right? Like it was distressing. Um, but it also was really interesting. So again, it's called an ugly truth inside Facebook's battle for domination by Shira Frankel. I'm going to ask you All this right, on air so that you yeah. can't, are accountable to our listeners. Will you send me that book and the ACE book? <laughs> <laughs> like, like a physical copy of them? Yeah. 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 I don't, okay. yeah. I don't, I, like, I listened to the, I listened oh. to the Facebook one on Libby. So oh, okay. Then I'll, we'll do that too. Never mind. But will you yep. send me the ACE book? <laughs> yes. I think I might've loaned it to someone, but if I have it, I will send it to you. Okay. Thank you. In, in an envelope. Um, <laughs> that's an inside joke, everyone. <laughs> Not even a good everyone. inside joke. It's just funny. <laughs> okay. <Shh. laughs> we got to keep the mystery alive. Yes. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can oh, follow God. us on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> I know. At Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, and most importantly, submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise and the new WWSASTAT. <laughs> Bracelets. Bracelets. <laughs> I love it. Please remember to follow and subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. And if you support us for $10 a month, you will get uh, your main feed ad-free. So exciting. And also access to our um, Q&A live session on Patreon, which is happening this Wednesday 
uh, June 22nd at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. So if you sign up now, you will get access to that and it'll be super fun. Um, and we're going to be doing those monthly. So if yep. you miss this one, you also have the opportunity to listen uh, or to join those in the future. Yep. Uh, this literally keeps our mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his most recent podcast, Finding Quantum Quest, put out by David Media. I, I changed it up, so it, it fucked me up. You did change it. Yep. Now you do the affirmation. <laughs> 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 okay uh yeah and remember hard emotions are a part of life having those big emotions you know those nostalgic feelings sadness jealousy resentment um feeling regret feeling shame all of these feelings are a part of life it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong it doesn't mean mm. that you are unhealed it doesn't mean that you are unworthy or unsafe those hard emotions are often trying to tell us something and it's up to us to discern whether or not that thing is true or whether or not that thing is important to us and if all else fails just break up <laughs>